Years ago, there was a story told of a cowboy in a western town who was raising his family on the prairie, and he was attacked. The family was attacked by Comanches when he was off on a hunting expedition. Uh, The Comanches killed his entire family, burned the house down. He came back to find it like that. And uh, he turned to a life of, of evil and sin. He became um, a gun hand. He robbed banks. He did this for many years, wasn't caught. Uh, there was an occasion in West Texas that he walked into a bank, was robbing it, and he had everybody at gunpoint, and a small girl walked into the bank. The man recognized the young girl and leaned down as she whispered, three words in his ear. And after she had done so, he dropped the gun, walked out of the bank, and never robbed again. Life is like that. Our lives are stories, maybe not on print, but in something deeper. Our lives have chapters They have narratives that many times go on for years and years in seemingly insignificance. And then someone whispers in our ear and everything changes. And our lives are shifted to a new adventure, to a new journey, in a direction we never expected. I've had two of those occasions where Very simple words were whispered in my ear. Both of them had to do with water, surprisingly enough. One had to do with a sea, and the other one had to do with a river. The first time I heard the whisper in my ear was at the Red Sea, of all places, where I heard, Christ died for you. And in that moment, I was shocked to find out that the one who was on the page of the scripture was a living person. It was the Holy Spirit whispering that in my ear, and my sins were forgiven, and the blood covered all my offenses, and I was free. I walked through that Red Sea, and I was free from Egypt and from the world. My heart sang a new song. My feet traveled on a higher path, and I was set on a different course. But therein entered 18 years of the wilderness, where I struggled as a Christian, failing most of the time. I was told how to live. I was not not told the power within to live that life. And so for the next 18 years... I struggled. Now, nothing in your life is wasted. You know that. Before you got saved, after you got saved, God uses the ordinary of every day to build into your life what he's preparing you for. Nothing's wasted. And 18 years later, as I stood at the River Jordan, I heard a second whisper. It was like the first, but it was different. The first whisper was, Christ died for you. The second whisper was, you died with Christ. 
And I ran across that river Jordan, seeing that the cross had cut off the power of sin into the promised land. No longer to wander and struggle, and that was 20 years ago. I've known Christ for almost 40 years. The first 18 were joyous, happy, much better than Egypt. But the last 20 were so much better than the first 18. Now, there are still enemies in the promised land. There are still struggles. But now the basis of my approach to battles is not my efforts or myself. It's Christ. It's Christ alone. It's his life. No longer do I read the Bible to get closer to God. I now realize how close I already am by the cross, and therefore the Bible comes alive. I no longer pray for strength. I realize the power of Christ in me, and I pray rejoicing of that life. I don't ask for victory. I claim the victory already mine. It's a good whisper. It's a good whisper. And God prepared me for all those years to hear that moment when I was ready to run across into a better, into the best, into the milk and honey. You, you can eat manna and probably get your belly full, but it's the milk and honey that's the good stuff. Go with me to Joshua chapter 4, if you will. Joshua chapter 4, looking down at the end of verse 10. Joshua chapter 4, the end of verse 10 is a sentence where we'll pick up our thoughts and move on toward the end of the chapter. Chapter 4, the book of Joshua, the end of verse 10. And it says, the people, people of Israel, passed over in haste. I like that. You do that after 18 years in the desert. This is the same, not the same people, but the same nation anyway, that, that 40 years before hesitated. They hesitated. They weren't sure of the giants. They were afraid of the land. They didn't trust the Lord and they held back, sent back into the desert for 40 years. But now, after the 40 years, they were ready. God has a way of making you ready, doesn't he? The dryness of the soul. You read where Jesus promised that out of your belly will flow rivers of water. Match that up with your Christian experience. And if it doesn't jive, there's something missing, isn't there? Something you didn't know. But when you were ready, you ran. You ran in haste to the cross. you got to be ready for this kind of teaching. Notice verse 11. And when all the people had finished passing over, the ark of the Lord and the priests passed over, Before the people, notice the Ark of the Covenant, picturing Christ and the gospel, was in the midst of the Jordan, and as they passed by, there it was in plain view. They understood that it was that that held back the river. It was the Lord, it was the Ark of the Covenant. Notice the river wasn't held back by effort. By schemes, you know, they didn't build a dam. There was no psychological thing going on. 
There was the Lord holding back the rush of Jordan. And there was the ark of the gospel of Jesus Christ right in the midst of it. You know the amazing experience? After 18 years of knowing the Lord, I realized it was the same gospel that saved me that causes me to stand on the, on, on, on the promised land, on victory. Same Christ. I'd gotten away from that. I was looking for, to myself. And there's the ark in the midst of the Jordan, and they pass over, and it stays down there. Now notice, it goes on and says in verse 12 that the sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh passed over armed before the Lord. That was the two and a half tribes that had been given land on the east of the Jordan. But the, but the, the deal was your wife and kids stay over there but your men of battle come with us until the land is taken, and then they can go back. Now, it's interesting that it gives us the number, and I'm glad it does, because some of us like numbers. Verse 13, about 40,000 ready for war passed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jordan. Now, it's kind of interesting that it gives us the number for this reason. If it's two and a half tribes, and there's 40,000 men, out of two and a half tribes, you got nine and a half tribes left. You can pretty much do the math if that's what equals that. And you're t- probably talking 250 to 300,000 men of war who were able to fight. Now, these are men in their prime. You've got a lot of men and women that are not in their prime in this group. You got the old guys, they're not taken out to battle anymore. You got the wives and young children. Yep. And so you can figure between a million and two million Jews from that amount. So kind of interesting, gives us the amount, the numbers anyway. You can, you can kind of figure if you're old enough or too old to go out to battle. I, I feel like I am. I feel like I'd stay back. All right. Verse 14. When stuff starts to hurt and you can't swing a sword anymore, that's about it. Verse 14. On that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they stood in awe of him. They respected him as their leader, just as they had stood in awe of Moses all the days of his life. A word of respect, a word for respect in any culture, in any society. I was traveling with Whitney and or Lorelai in the back seat, and she said something about Donald Trump. And at that point, I stopped her and said, Lorelai, you never call president by their first name. It is President Trump. It is President Obama. It is President Clinton. You never call a president by their first name. Whether you like them, whether you agree with their policies, it's a matter of respecting the position that they're in. And so I heard her after a few minutes, she said, I guess I can learn things when I'm not in school. (laughs) I said, yeah, you can. So all of her life, respect for authority within our culture is the mean. In fact, it goes on with some very unpopular words. Notice it says in verse 15, and the Lord said to Joshua, command the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant to to come up out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priests. No suggestions, no, you know, let let me give you some thoughts about the, it was a command. It was submission to commands. 
Now, one word on a soapbox, and I will move on, I promise you. This culture doesn't like the firmness of authority. They resist being told what to do, to be commanded. But it is in restraint of commands that we find our greatest freedom. It is in obedience to the command sign that's in a, down a street that says stop, that you save your life from being killed. Commands, the restrictive things of life are the very things that give us freedom and joy of movement. Uh, Laurel and I got a surprise trip to Disney on Friday. Nobody knew it except Caleb, Whitney, and Lorelai. Well, Landon was told, because Landon's young and he could do this, uh, that mom was going to work that day, and that's what he knew. So I picked him up at school at noon, and I couldn't resist his pop. I looked back, I said, do you know where your sister is today? <laughs> I mean, he's got to find out sometime, right? I said, well, better to find out from me, right? I said, she's in Disney. His response was twofold. First of all, he said, that's mean. (laughs) Second of all, he said, I know she'll get me something. (laughs) Now, that's, that's normal kid stuff. They're all selfish like that. So I couldn't resist, you know, we got home and, and uh, stopped by, Whitney had made some tuna fish. So he was pouting, he was mad, you know, and I, I try not to laugh. But we got into, into the house there, and he made a suggestion that we go get something fun. I said, no, we're having tuna fish, your mother made tuna fish. And then I looked down at him and said this, I said, this is life, Landon. I said, some days your sister goes to Disney and you get tuna fish. <laughs> We bowed up on me, and the madder he got, the harder I laughed. (laughs) Then I'd taken just enough of it, and I said, now stop it. No more bad attitude. You need to be thankful that you got tuna fish to eat. You need to be thankful that you got a mom and dad who love you like they do. I went down the long list, and I said, most of all, most of all, you need to be thankful you got a pop like me. I commanded his attitude. He straightened right up. He was fine. In fact, we, we went by the school where the kids were playing because he's in denial. And he looks down and he goes, I see Lorelai. I said, no, you don't. <laughs> so I got him on Facebook and I, made him, and I made him say, I hope you're having a good time. And his attitude was fine. There was no pacification. There was no, oh, we're so sorry for you. This is life. Deal with disappointment. Be happy for others. And I commanded his attitude at that time, and he was fine. We waste so much time as parents and grandparents trying to... Anyway, all right, I'm off my soapbox. Here I go. I'm down. All right, and the Lord... So the Lord said to Joshua in verse 15, Command the priests bearing the ark of the testimony to come up out of the Jordan. All the people had passed over. So Joshua commanded the priests, Come up out of the Jordan. All this command's going on. These people are obeying. Everybody's getting free. Verse 18. And when the priests 
bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord, came up from the midst of the Jordan. Notice what happened. The soles of the priest's feet were lifted up on dry ground. Remember the feet thing, the foot thing? We're going to see it over and over again. The foot of authority. They brought, up the, they brought up the gospel, and when they stepped on dry ground, the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all the banks as before. And here you are, two million Jews, and nobody's going back across because the waters have been returned. Once you understand that your life is now lived by the life of Jesus Christ in you, you can never go back to the desert. Anything you ever hear after that point of teaching and preaching and reading that tells you to do something to make spiritual things happen, it just sets a sourness in your stomach. You can't listen to it. It closes your spirit down because you know now that the battle is the Lord's and not yours. There's no more crossing over. Let's continue. Verse 19. And the people came up out of the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month. It is no accident that the scripture mentions that. That is the day of the Passover when they came up out of Egypt. Forty years to the very day. Forty years to the very day of the preparation for the Passover, they came out. Isn't that amazing? Now they are going to celebrate the Passover in chapters beyond. But 40 years to the day. Isn't that beautiful? God is a God of timing, is he not? Perfect timing. Notice, and they camped, encamped at Gilgal on the east of the Jordan, the Jericho, east, of, east border of Jericho. And those 12 stones that they took up out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. Now let's talk about the 12 stones bring you up to speed on the 12 stones. Remember the number 12. It has to do with the authoritative rule and government of God himself. There were 12 patriarchs. There were 12 apostles. When we get to the new Jerusalem, there'll be 12 gates. Gates in scripture is always about governmental authority. It is God's number for ruling and reigning. There were two sets of 12 stones first set that Joshua's men took up out of the Jordan that were already there. These are the ones pictured here for a memorial. It is a picture of the transference of the authority of God in the hearts of men where he rules and reigns now completely. Taking that up out of sin and out of the bondage of sin, it's set up as a memorial to remember forever the moment and day that we were, sin was broken in experience in our lives. The entire experience of fighting and battling in promised land was drawn from the remembrance and memorial of those 12 stones, of what the gospel did in our lives, breaking the power of sin. Notice 
Look at chapter 4. Notice, uh, well, let's skip back up to verse 7, the end of it. Notice that these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. Now, when the Bible uses the word forever, it means forever. Okay? Forever. Out into all eternity, those 12 stones will be a memorial of the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ to first bring us out of Egypt and then take us into full victory. I mentioned last week that, the, that one of the great goals of the creation of man is to defeat Satan. Here it is. Through the work of the gospel, Satan is defeated in our lives and the power of sin has been broken. I was riding with Landon. I know I'm using the grandkids a lot this morning, but I spent some time with them last. I was in the back. Landon was in the back seat. Yeah, he was driving. I was in the back seat. He was in the back seat, and I was driving. And out of the blue, he said, "You know, Pop. He said I've always wanted to be an action hero, but I don't have any power. I don't have any powers. You know, everybody's got the powers. You know the." There's froze, you know, just they do different things. I don't have any powers. I said, yeah, you do. You know you got powers. He said, what powers do I have? I said, Landon, you have the power to be kind. You have the power to forgive someone who has offended you. You have the power to show love to somebody who's unloved, to take a child in your classroom who no one's paying attention, and you go spend time with him. And it went several other things in that moment of powers that you have. And he paused and he said, yeah, but I want to do something. (laughs) I promise you, Landon, if you do those things, you will have done something. To be a friend to the friendless. To love. To be respectful. To forgive. That's the power of the gospel in our lives. Do you know that? These are the big issues, aren't they? This is the huge stuff in us. It's not them, it's us. It's what we can't get over. But by the power of Jesus Christ, all those things are crushed by our resting in that truth, by our looking back. So, watch this. If the 12 stones picture resurrection life, who we are now in Christ, his rule over us, I want you to see the 12 stones, the second set that Joshua takes, I think, from the desert side and buries them in the Jordan. He puts them down in the bed. The water comes, floods them back over. And in chapter 4, look down at verse... Notice. Verse 8, verse 9. Verse 9, Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan in the place where the feet of the priests bearing the ark. This is a different 12 stones. This is who we were in the desert. This is who we were depending on ourselves. This is our old life, self-life. It's buried under the Jordan. Notice at the end of verse 9, it says, and they are there to this day. They're not there forever. 
The 12 stones that were taken out, the life in Christ is forever. But who we were is now buried in the Jordan, not forever, up unto this day. There is coming a day when we lose this old body, when he returns, that who we were before Christ will be no more. I mean no more. All those sins have been washed, granted. But all that we ever were before we knew Christ, out in that eternal state, is at, now it's buried under Jordan. When we get there, it's gone. Isn't that beautiful? And who we are in Christ will live forever. How amazing is this? Let's finish the chapter. Verse 21. And he said to the people of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in time to come, what do these stones mean? The ones that are set up out of Jordan. Then you shall let your children know Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over. Complete victory. Complete victory. There is to be no excuse within us for any allowance of sin. We are completely free of every sin. I don't care if you can trace your sin back ten generations. And think it's just a generational thing. No, it's not. It's a sin thing. It's all gone. It's all gone. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the people of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty. So that all of creation, notice, not that they will know, but that they may know. By and large, the peoples of this world will not look at us. They will not recognize us. They hate us. But the possibility that they might see lives that are amazing lives is there. They may see it. They won't see it without promised land. And that you may fear the Lord your God forever. There it is. The respect and fear of the Lord. Caleb, do we have a PowerPoint or not? Are you, you ready? This is, for, for you who weren't here a couple of weeks ago, this is new technology. Just amazing. You ready? Don't clap because that's the wrong week. Take it off. That's fine. (laughs) That was last week's PowerPoint. Take it down. Yeah, pull that down. It was last week's. I'm going to give you one thing, okay? I'm going to shorten it down to one thing that I want you to remember. We are free when we understand the boundaries of the gospel, and what he has done. We are free when you understand your position in Christ and that Christ is in you. We are free. Anything in all creation is free 
when it's within the environment that God has created it. A trout in the water is free. In a tree, it's in bondage. We went on a nature walk yesterday, and uh, an old fella gave us the talk, and it was just a great talk, and he mentioned a uh, woodpecker. I'm going to tell you, if you don't believe in God, just, just study nature. It's a, just amazing. A woodpecker hits a tree about 150 times per minute with its bill. It has a hard tail, so it can prop itself up against the tree and, and get, get leverage going forward. You know, hitting that many times a tree, I'd have a headache. But there's two reasons. <laughs> yeah. I, I, there's two reasons why a woodpecker doesn't get a headache. Number one, his brain is so small. Maybe I wouldn't get a headache. His, his brain is so small, it doesn't really hurt it. But more importantly, the position of the bill, when it actually comes in and hits, the power of the blow is transferred down below the brain. So the brain never suffers any impact from the bill. It has tiny little hairs in its nose to block the dust from coming in because there's a lot of sawdust flying at it. Isn't that amazing? It has a sharp, self-sharpening bill. Its talents dig in and it does its job. God designed it to peck a tree. It finds its greatest freedom on the side of an oak tree. It finds its greatest bondage under the water or at the point of a gun. We were created for God. We were created for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We were created to be in connection with our creator. This is how we live. This is where we draw life. There's no life in this world. We weren't meant for this world. We were meant to be in this world drawing our life from above out of this world into us. And in that submission to the gospel of Jesus Christ, in the understanding that I am in Christ and Christ in me, by my refusal to go on my own, I am free. By my waiting and trusting in my Savior, my obedience to Him based on His life and power in me, I am free. The world says, and you can read it in Psalm chapter 2, God, throw off the restraints. Throw off the rules. Throw off the bondage. The world says God brings you into bondage. Oh, no. He brings you into Himself, which is perfect perfect liberty and freedom. Do you know him today? Do you know him as your savior? Maybe you've never been to the Red Sea thing, or you've understood he died in your place as your substitute to take on the punishment for sins, to cleanse you of your blood. 